So, retrospectors, what historical events are we ticking off on this week's run of Today in History? Well, Monday is the anniversary of the day Roger first publishes famous thesaurus. Then on Tuesday, we say happy birthday, Mr. Potato Head. On Wednesday, the extraordinary stories of the child soldiers who fought in the American Civil War. On Thursday, how King James changed the word of God. And on Friday, what did spam emails look like in 1978? We discuss this and more on Today in History with the retrospectors. Ten minutes every weekday, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Hello man fans, Ollie Man here with The Modern Man. Now, for those of you who ask me, and this is a question that gets uh, addressed to me frequently, where do you get your crazy ideas from? Where do we find our guests? Um, the answer is, with quite a lot of difficulty sometimes, to be honest, we're not a big production team, it's just me and Matt, and, you know, we've we've made quite a few rods for our own back. I mean, we don't do celebrity interviews, we don't just want to talk to people when they've got a book out, we only want to find people we're genuinely fascinated in hearing from, it can be quite hard to dig about 10 episodes a series and find amazing life stories, which, you know, we know are the things that you love to hear. And and the truth is often when we find someone good, it turns out that actually they have got a book out or they've once done an interview on This Morning or something like that because, you know, they've had an interesting life. So the chances of it being undocumented previously are narrow. Uh, what is great about today's guest, Gavin, is I promise you do not know his story. You will not have heard it before. Um, I don't know him from Adam. His name came up because somebody just mentioned him to us and his rather unusual career path. And I googled it and there was traces of it, but basically he's never given an interview before. So the story has not been properly documented before. And I think you're going to agree it was worth us chasing him to get him on the show. Uh, Although if you are someone who doesn't like sexual content, then this is maybe not the episode for you. Uh, Before we get going, big thanks to our sponsors for the week, echo.co.uk. Their head honcho is Manfan Stephen, who says, Ollie, I've been listening to you as a form of comedic therapy for almost a decade now, and you've helped me through insomnia, anxiety, and lots of tedious long-haul flights. I think we immediately get a sense of you, Stephen. Uh, You think long-haul flights are tedious. You're a jet-setter, basically. Uh, He says, My co-founder and I both take medication to manage lifelong conditions, and we were sick of the hassle of ordering repeat prescriptions every month. So we recruited a team of NHS doctors, pharmacists, and developers and built echo.co.uk, a free app that takes the pain out of prescriptions. And yeah, that is a pretty fair description of what they do, although obviously some pain may continue until your prescription arrives in the post. They're not miracle workers. Uh, But basically what you do is you download the app, you tell it what repeat medications you need and who your GP is, and their partner pharmacies deliver your meds for free, and the app tells you when you need to take your meds, which is good because you can lose track, uh, and it knows when you're going to run out as well. So yes, if you are on repeat prescriptions, as Stephen is, then do check out his app. Just visit echo.com 
www.ncbs.co.uk and thanks to them. Uh, Right, in today's show you will learn how to survive getting arrested, you'll learn where to collect your recycling bins if you live in Dorset and you'll learn what connects Piers Morgan to a Brazilian gangbang. Let's go. On this week's Modern Man. I wouldn't have done it if I didn't have the money in the bank. You know, I wasn't doing it because I needed the money. I was doing it because I was a hedonist. He came, he saw, he came again. One man's unusual early retirement. Mung bean, sackcloth wearing philosophy. And Alex Fox reveals which sex toy rubs her up the wrong way. But first, it's the zeitgeist, all the trends that matter for the week ahead, with a man who is now exclusively on the podcast going to reveal where he now lives. It's Ollie Peart. Am I? Yeah. Dorchester. Never heard of it. No. I mean, I'd heard of the Dorchester Hotel, obviously. Obviously. I'm not a vagrant, but I'd never heard of Dorchester the place. It's a fascinating place. You should uh, go and look at it. It is the Dorset County Town. Which, all that means is that you pick up your recycling bins from there. Uh, what are the big trends for this week? AI celebrities. Excellent. Lil McQuayla is a social media influencer. So she has... Oh, we all, mate. <laughs> well, she's got almost half a million followers on Instagram. She goes to these uh, big, massive parties in LA uh, and goes to gallery openings and all these fancy things. Right, and she's actually a computer? No, she's a human, but her face is CGI. So she's been CGI'd, right? I guess. So people think she's owned by a lady called Artie Poppenberg, who is just another... She's not even an influencer. She's only got like a few hundred uh, followers on Instagram. But people think that this person's in control of this account, which is a completely fake individual. If you look at some of the images, there's there's sort of like dodgy shadows on it. So there's a, there's a photo where... Lil is standing in between two other people, but the shadow that's cast on one of the others, you can tell it's not quite right. Uh-huh. Looks like it's kind of being cut out and sort of put together. You sound and... like a moon landing conspiracy. Well, no, there's no conspiracy. Like, it's definitely CGI. Like, it's definitely what being What do you mean three, CGI? How's three, that 3D different? Models. It's okay, a 3D so it's not model. a real person's face that's been put through a filter and tweaked a bit. No. The point is, we have actually spoken about similar things on the podcast before. We've spoken about Tay. Do you remember Tay? Yeah, the racist chatbot. The racist chatbot, Microsoft's racist chatbot. the racist (laughs) chatbot. That's a catchy (laughs) theme tune. Everyone's favourite. And we had Poppy, who was the sort of alter ego YouTube star, who was sort of... Oh, yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah, Yeah. really weird. Like, is it an actor? Is it just a precocious elf? And there's also Sophia, who's the the robot that's recently been granted citizenship in Saudi Arabia. All your greatest We're getting there, we're getting there. So what? What's the trend? We are at artificial intelligent celebrity status, as in there are... Or there will be a fully-fledged artificial intelligence celebrity. No, there won't. Yeah, there will. Okay, because well, we're I'm almost to agree there. To disagree, I'm no, carry on because we're almost that, there. No, you think about we're it. Not. We're not. We almost are almost there. there. We're not. This is niche, isn't it? Like half a million on Instagram sounds impressive until you realise a most people aren't on Instagram. B the people that are following probably didn't even see what it was. They just follow an algorithm and see they don't really care. The thing with Lil McQuayla is actually that the posts are by some a real person. Poppy was a made-up alter ego with a realistic, an actual person, but nobody knew who that person was. And I think what will happen is there'll be a merger of the two, and Tay as well, so Tay the, the chatbot. The artificial intelligent chatbot will get so sophisticated that there will be able to be a fully-fledged artificial intelligent celebrity on social media. You'd never need to see them. You could just follow them on all their accounts and they might as well be real because they've got a conversational sort of style in their posts and you can see photos of them. 
I will, I'll just remind you at this point, Ollie, that when we were at Wimbledon and you tested the artificial intelligent recommendation engine, you put the word vegetarian in it and it crashed. <laughs> yeah, we're a long way away. That's a, we're not a long, long way away. <laughs> An artificial intelligence I don't celebrity. think we are. I think like people are buying into this idea, right? So like Lil McQuayla looks a little bit like a computer game character. Photorealistic, I would say, mm. but you can kind of tell that there's something not quite right. But people are buying into that. No, okay, I, look, where, where I think you're right is it doesn't matter whether the person's real or not in mm. the sense that if you like Rihanna or Harry Styles, in a sense, they're artificial characters, aren't they? They're based on real people, but the brand that people buy into, the way that their photo shoots are done, the way that their songs are produced, the way that their perfumes are marketed is, is all supported by hundreds of other people creating something around them. So in a way, the thing that people are fans of might not necessarily be the real person at all. It's, it's almost as if the real person doesn't need to actually exist. That's all true, but since real people do exist and it's cheaper to take a picture of Harry Styles and then manipulate it, why just create a computerized Surely one? it's not cheaper to take a picture of Harry Styles. This is my point. Like, why you could create... It is when Harry Styles isn't famous. It's not now because he's famous and it costs money, but at the opening stages to invest in a computer that's going to create a person, just, just base it on a real person. But if you're a kind of person, like, a, I don't know, a music producer or whatever, and you just want to create a celebrity, someone who is incredibly famous, can be at all of these different events, and rather than investing in an individual that could, I don't know, have tantrums, get into drugs and all that kind of stuff, you could have full control over this artificial intelligence celebrity. Yeah. Why not? Why would you be- not? Because it's obviously crazy and it's not going to catch on. That's why. But you're right that ethically there's no difference. But it totally could. You look at the inane no, stuff that Harry Styles tweets. <laughs> uh, what are your other trends for this week? Flying cars. I mean, a lot of people will have been waiting four decades for someone to say that this is actually happening. Yeah, well, it's going to happen in 2020. And may I remind you that we're coming to the end of 2017, so what's that? That's like absolute max. That's kind of like 36 months away. Uh, wow. Uber... He does trends, he does maths. Uber are going to start testing flying cars in 2020 in Los Angeles. Flying cars, Ollie. Mm. We haven't even had the driverless ones come make it mainstream yet. See, I think that's the real agenda here. I think they're trying to make driverless cars seem pedestrian and accepted because that's Uber's real mission, isn't it? Is to get rid of the drivers that they're not paying properly. I think you're onto something because yeah. if there was... No, just make it seem like driverless. Oh, yeah, driverless cars. That's that's so 2017. That's brilliant. No, if I was ahead of Uber, I'd be like, right, what we could do, we'll have a couple of plane crashes and people would be like, do you know what? Driverless cars are all right, yeah. aren't they? Let's stick with the driverless cars we know. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, 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 a, it's a theme, isn't it? Tech companies over-promising. Mm. And under-delivering. And I expect that they won't deliver or start piloting this program in 2020. I yeah. think it's going to be much longer than that. And there's loads of examples of this. Elon Musk is the number one example. Hyperloop. That's technology that takes the humble old train and turns into essentially a supersonic jet underground. That has global ramifications. Like, he genuinely wants to change the planet. But it's just that they're kind of promising it quite early and it all's gonna yes ridiculous euro disney didn't make profit for 20 years and also the problem with it is that because they'll be out of cities so you go to your station out of the city go really quickly to the other side of the outer city and then you go get on a bus back to your house so (laughs) you you get a flying car (laughs) now last week man fan sam challenged you to create a new tea or coffee trend Mm -hmm. how has that been going i'm dying to know i'll just tell you about the first one i tried right okay so it was uh, a coffee yes coffee based drink and what i i added uh, ginger okay cinnamon yeah and nutmeg right just a quarter teaspoon of each of those okay did you call it the pumpkin spice latte or no because then i added red wine (laughs) 
<laughs> so it was half coffee, half red wine, and those spices mixed together. Just to what? Simulate we'll, your stomach we'll, content. Just first my thinking. So the idea is, you know, winter we'll get drink. Some fine in my body. Yeah, winter drink, really nice. A little bit of a mulled wine effect in there. Turns <laughs> out it is disgusting, and I was almost sick. Yeah. And actually, really spicy. I don't know how it was so spicy. Like, what would have cinnamon, been the... Cinnamon, too much cinnamon can make you sick. Re- yeah. yeah, okay, it was really bad. I was retching. The problem with that drink was it was too too yeah, much... Too much problems with that Too drink. much bitterness, too mm. much bitterness, too mm. overpowering. So I went for, instead, well, let's let's make it. We can make it right now. I've whoa, got, whoa, I've... whoa, whoa, whoa. Are you saying that the drink you're bringing me, the one you've road-tested, is the one that was your second opportunity to create something it was my well it's not no, an exhaustive market research no process, i did is it, by i did means? i did have a few dabblings but they were just awful and they weren't worth talking about so no tell me i'm curious well it was mostly mixes of spices including cayenne pepper so the kind well, I, I wanted to put cayenne pepper in something and i was going to do like orange but i'm <laughs> <laughs> orange juice but i tried it this is true but i tried it with uh, this is how chefs work they just think what are things that taste nice individually or do you think they think what flavor combinations work together right it's really difficult for a start can i just say because where do I you like start marshmallows and where? i also like seven up well where do you start with flavor combinations that's why like with the coffee and wine thing i'm thinking okay coffee wine like i've had coffee cake with like a have i had coffee cake with a wine like wines like berries so you think i've got like, coffees and berries if you'd, you'd actually if you'd have said that it had i don't know like a, a whiskey undercurrent you know that's like a hot toddy then isn't it stop trying to make yourself sound like you know what you're talking about you don't it's incredibly difficult but i feel like i've stumbled across something which is potentially brilliant okay ollie pitt has in front of him a teapot so i'm guessing this is a tea not a coffee this is Earl Grey tea oh interesting he's filling up a cup to i would say two-thirds full with very stewed black Earl Grey tea this is a live experiment then it should be slightly lighter a bit less quite a subtle Earl Grey it's what Heston Blumenthal always says isn't it when he unveils his latest creation unbelievable yeah it shouldn't be quite like this but you get the idea then I have this yes he's holding up a bottle of Leon Perrins and already I want to be sick okay so Worcester sauce going into black Earl Grey yep Uh huh. here we go and is there any precision in this no <laughs> ten drops Listen, when you watch chefs on the TV, it's not like they're going, ooh, 100 grams of this, 200 grams no, of that. that is exactly what no, it's not. like. They're kind of, they're just going, whoosh, whoosh. watch Ainsley Harriet. He's not all like doing Ainsley that. Ainsley Harriet. Oh, and out <laughs> No, that can't be right. What is it, Ollie? It's something that's going to make me throw up. Ollie. It's not going to make you throw up. I've tried this. Trust oh, me. Okay, it's um, 250 ml bottle of uh, organic carrot juice from Pret. This is the effort that I went to. I didn't go to Pret and buy carrot juice when I originally did this. Okay, I blended up carrots and I sieved them to get raw, fresh carrot juice. Okay. Okay, so, so I've mixed carrot it up. juice goes into the black Earl Grey that's seasoned with Worcester sauce. So that's right. The top third. I'm actually. I know that I'm, my default mode on this is cynical, and what you've made does look disgusting. But I am going to be open-minded on it. That doesn't look disgusting, does it? That looks like a slightly dark tomato soup, like a cup of soup. Yeah, I suppose that's fair. Yes. And I call it. <laughs> Carroty. That's quite good. It is good. Like I know ca- it is. The word carrot with EA on the end. Uh, yeah. I had a few other oh, no. goes. You said that like maybe I just created your brand for you and you were going to spell it different. No, absolutely Because I get 5% not. if I just did. Now, it should be a bit hotter than this because we've been rabbiting on for a bit. The tea's gone a bit lukewarm. Oh, it's lukewarm oversteeped black Earl Grey. Yes. With warm carrot juice on top. Yeah, well, enjoy because this, uh, this is going to take the world by storm. Yeah. I'm not... Can I... Before I taste it, has this been tested on anyone else? Because Sam asked you specifically to test it on the general public. Well, in a few days' time, Mm. I'm meeting up with my uncle, Mm. and he's going to sample this, and then we're going to talk about basically creating a display (laughs) 
and not charging people because I think you know it's new. Yeah, we want people to sample it and we'll get some you know some feedback, some market research. Yeah. Anyway, just stop stalling and try it. Meet your uncle and have a friendly chat about your brand. Do you? It it sounds a bit like this is what he's told you, but actually he's going to section you. That's what it sounds like. No, he won't. He knows what it's for. I'm going to try the carroty. All I'm tasting is warm carrot juice at the moment. Give it here. It's not emetic. I'm not feeling immediately like I'm going to throw up. I think that needs a tad more of this. <laughs> He's putting more, more Worcester sauce in. Okay. I, I said I'd be honest. Yes. It, it's not nice, but it's not bad. It isn't bad. The, the th- and I'm surprised, bearing in mind the ingredients. The thing is, trying to come up with something genuinely new that tastes, well, that's palatable, which it is, isn't it? It's so difficult. It is actually edible. Yeah. And actually, the fact that it's got carrots in it, you could market that as like a healthy tea. Oh, it is a healthy tea. Of course it is. It's Earl Grey, Liam Perrins and, and carrot juice. What's not healthy about it? Actually it actually kind of works. I'm not I'm not feeling like I'm going to immediately throw up. Also, it, can, I, can I just put a call out to our listeners? Because I'd quite like to know... It's not bad. If someone knows why that might work. Because I obviously have You're made just an it. idiot savant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I don't know how it works. Yeah. But it does kind of work. And the great thing about this, and this is true, you can go to any cafe. Like, if you can't make it to my uncle's one when we're selling it, like, by the gallon. Sure. You'll you be can in just the papers. Order, There'll well, be a can, queue around the door. You can just order an Earl Grey tea. I do feel tea. slightly sick now. You can just order an Earl Grey <laughs> tea. You can get some Liam Perrins. And you can just buy yourself some carrot juice from a local shop. And you can make yourself a lovely carrot tea. <laughs> The healthy choice. Uh, well, um, that was a very entertaining challenge. Let's pass you the envelope for this week's challenge. <sighs> okay, I've got to read it out again, haven't I? Yep, that's the format. Peter says, I teach aerial pilates. Yep. What? Yeah. And thought Ollie Peart might like to come along to my class in Primrose Hill on a Friday morning. We've got you to London just in time to go to the aerial pilates class. What? How do you feel? What, I... I kind of roughly know what Pilates is, but yeah. I don't know what the aerial element is. Well, come on. You're intelligent sus- enough to work it out. Well, I'll just be suspended from ropes. I guess. This is, I mean, how do I feel about it? That's a good question. I quite like the idea of stretching out. Like, any additional inches that I can gain is most welcome. <laughs> but I don't know. Like, I just don't understand how you'd incorporate that with actual Pilates. Well, I'm going to find out. You are going to find out, and you're going to report back next week, Ollie Pitt. Good luck. Thanks, Ollie. Hello, man fans. My name is Chris. I've spent a few years supporting protesters in their interactions uh, with the police. And these are my top three Squarespace life hacks for how to survive being arrested. Okay, so my first tip is, if possible, have witnesses. So if you're in a protest situation, there may well be other people around. You may be there with people you know. Uh, There may be legal observers around who are specifically there to observe uh, policing actions, including people getting arrested. If it comes to court, they may be able to support your defence. But for that to happen, you need to be able to be in touch with them. So if there's any way of uh, exchanging contact details with people who may have witnessed your arrest, then... Uh, you should do so. This applies in protests, but also good advice generally if you find yourself getting arrested anywhere. Point two is about controlling information. No comment is extremely widespread advice. You should not be talking. If you think you haven't done anything, don't say anything. If you think you have done something, don't say anything. If you think you've done something but it was justified, or if you're not sure whether you've done something, don't say anything. It's just not in your interests to do so. Think of it as a professional interaction. 
the people you're talking to, be they the officer who's arresting you or if you get interviewed later in the police station, they are professionals who do this day in, day out, and their goal is to get you convicted of a crime. If you're arrested for a protest-related offence, it's important to not use the duty solicitor who's the solicitor at the police station. Duty solicitors will almost always be inexperienced at dealing with protest clients. You should use a solicitor who has experience of defending protesters. Point three was keeping calm and being mentally prepared are the important tactics for going through the arrest process. Regardless of how well or badly you're treated at the police station, you may be there for hours and hours. 24 hours is the maximum time you can be kept at a police station, but most people aren't held for a full 24 hours. If you expect you might get arrested, take a book with you. Otherwise, try and stay calm and know you will be out at some point. Those are my top three tips. For more information, you can head to the Green and Black Cross website, greenandblackcross.org, and the Legal Defence and Monitoring Group website, ldmg.org.uk. Thanks to Chris for sharing his Squarespace life hacks. Remember, you can share your own expert advice in minutes by building your blog with Squarespace. In fact, you can have a site up in under an hour. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code MAN, that's M-A-N-N, to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Now, if you had a payout of several million pounds right now, what would you do with it? I mean, obviously, you might pay off your mortgage or buy yourself a sports car or treat your mum to a holiday, uh, whatever. After that, what would you do on a daily basis? Uh, Perhaps take up fishing or something a bit more adventurous? Uh, Maybe join the St John's Ambulance? Uh, Well, uh, Gavin Hay took a different path but one that perhaps had its roots in his first attempts to break into the TV industry in front of the camera. The first opportunity I had to present was on a show called Things to Come, which was a youth series. But I didn't cut the mustard on that. Why? I I guess I was timid about who I was and what I wanted to be. I was frightened about what I could do, what I couldn't do. I wasn't sure of myself. So they would put me up for endless screen tests, they'd put me up for endless voiceovers, but I was... um, not self-confident. You know, I was growing up in an era where to be gay wasn't a good thing. It was just starting to be acknowledged, talked about, people were coming out. It was a very scary space. So I didn't know whether I wanted to be who I wanted to be. I had no idea. I knew what I wanted to do, but I didn't know how to get there. And I didn't feel uh, secure in myself to be that person. But in your personal life, were you out? I had just come out. I'd just come out to my parents. That wasn't a very pleasant period. Um, In London, we were still stopped in the streets. Um, All my friends and I, if we were stopped by the police, we'd be very nervous of saying where we were going. There were only three or four gay clubs. It was a very different time. So I think being gay was one step and not knowing how it would be to be put yourself in front of all those people as a presenter was quite quite scary because I knew I wanted to be who I was, mm. not how, who other people wanted me to be. So that was your front of camera experience, but you, you carried on beavering away in production, right, and ended up actually becoming an executive. 
At the end of my TV career, we had um, over 200 staff. We were working on eight or nine shows a day. We had daily shows for the BBC, weekly shows for ITV. We had comedy, we had drama, we had documentary, we had music shows. And this is the independent production company you established? This is Brighter Pictures that I established with my business partner then, and my life partner. So give us some idea of the titles of shows we may have heard of. Well, the shows went through from anything like Flavor, which was a black music show on Channel 4, to uh, My Worst Week with Piers Morgan. I used to love that show. (laughs) There was There's Something About Miriam. Now, I remember that format, but for the benefit of our listeners who don't, this is an extraordinary idea for a show, I think. Well, we took a transsexual uh, into a villa in Ibiza, and she dated various men, and the prize at the end of the show was to have a week on a yacht with her. But at the end, the reveal, when she'd chosen her lover after they'd wooed her, the big reveal came, and she said, actually, guys, I'm still technically a man. And, um, yes, the rest is history, as they say. And it was phenomenally successful, the production company, and you ended up selling, as has been the narrative for most independent companies these days. Someone approached you and gave you a load of money. Did you think, I'm not sure I want to take the money, I want to keep running the company, or did you immediately think, yep, sell? Do you know, Ollie, by that point, I was quite tired. Um, I'd been working literally since I was 13 or 14. I thought, wow, this is a significant amount of money. Um, I've worked damn hard, and I'm really happy to do something new for a while. How much did they buy the company for? I'm not going to tell you now. (laughs) Was it a A few million, yes. Enough that you could theoretically have retired on? Theoretically, I could have retired for the rest of my life, yes. After I sold the company... um, my life partner and my business partner and I split up. We've remained best friends ever since, but there were, you know, it was time for things to change in our lives. I wanted to completely shake off the shackles of work and media and do something completely different. I wanted to go and learn a language. By chance, I had met another person in my life, um, and it transpired that he was an adult star. Okay, so he was a full-time porn actor. He was, yeah. And, uh, you know, at the time I thought... This is interesting. I don't really want to fall in love with an adult actor. But I felt this is not a period of my life where I should be judgmental. I should find out about the person and take it as it comes. And I guess, you know, suddenly becoming very rich, suddenly having all the time in the world, feeling free, I moved and went to live in Rio. I imagined that I would uh, just relax, take some time off, and what I really wanted to do is I wanted to learn another language. And so I started to learn Portuguese. And that was my main focus while I was there. I would take daily lessons, I would hang out on the beach, I would have a good time, I'd relax. I had a wonderful apartment. And did you still have this this partner that you went over there for? I did. Yeah, okay. So you were living together. Some people may say, well, that was quite a midlife crisis. So I (laughs) married... I'm glad you said that. (laughs) I married... uh, Well, I I had a civil partnership um, with an adult star. But it seems obvious to me, with this distance, I guess that someone as driven as you've described mm-hmm. isn't going to be able to sit on the beach and learn Portuguese for very long. I mean, that's something that will keep you occupied for a few months, and then you're going to be thinking, what's the next thing? What happened is I was offered, because I was living with an adult star, the opportunity to work in the adult industry, or an opportunity to delve into it. 
my partner just one day said, would you like to join me in a movie? And I said, yes. Immediately? Immediately, yeah. You know, I'm living free. I don't have to go back to work anymore. I've retired and... Um, it sounded like a good idea, another adventure. You know, some people go mountain climbing, some people skydive. Um, you know, my I'm not going to do that. That's not my thing. I decided that my adrenaline rush would be by taking a risk in a different direction. What were the pros and cons? I mean, if you were to make a little list saying, this is why know, I want to do it and this is why I don't. This sounds ex- extremely stupid. But every person I've met in the adult world, or if you say to someone, would you like to do porn? They say, I would like to, but not while my mother's alive. So my mother had died. <laughs> Bizarrely, was in the pro camp on this particular sheet of paper. Yeah, okay. Um, that played actually a very important part because I certainly wouldn't have done it while my mother was alive. Don't ask me why, but mm. it would never have even occurred to me to do it. But at that time, I felt there were no restrictions on my life. Why the hell not? I'm in Brazil. What's the worst that can happen? You know, it'll be shown around some cinemas in Brazil or on DVD in those days or, you know, Uh, it's not going to have huge impact. Probably important for people listening now, because if if you say, do you want to be in porn now? That means, do you want to be on the internet forever, doesn't it? But you weren't thinking about that. I wasn't thinking of that at the time. No. Okay. You know, I thought, oh, yeah, one sex tape. What's that? You know, Rob Lowe's done it. Yeah. (laughs) Kane West has done it, you know. And Um, it's with your partner. And it's with my partner. And, you know... I'd had friends do similar things for um, very early VHSs on sexual relationships. And they were all very tame. And I thought, you know, bugger it. Let's just do it, you know. Okay, so what was the setup like when you were filming? I mean, I have no idea how, you know, a medium budget production I'm not sure it was even medium budget. You know, it was Brazil. So it was a cameraman, a sound man and a lighting man in a sitting room. And um, the sex took place. Were the cameraman, the lighting man, and the sound man homosexual? Uh, I think the cameraman definitely was. Um, I don't know about the others. It's it shouldn't be important, should it? But I guess the, the idea that they may or may not be getting aroused by what they're watching makes it different to a professional environment, doesn't it? You know, the strange thing is people do not get aroused on the set apart from the people who are actually acting. Because? It's just not what happens. It's the same as filming any other process. Whether you're filming a TV commercial a tv production or a film you're working you're aiming the camera you're holding the lights you're holding the boom it's not a sexual environment unless you're acting in the scene after the first one i'd done it and i sat and i thought about this and thought um you know what i've done that now and i'll do another one it was easy it was fun i guess it's that element of um showing off the presenter in me. Well, you couldn't say it wasn't being true to yourself as a presenter, could you? It was true to myself, yeah. So did, were there times where you then went on to do things that weren't true to yourself? Because obviously people want ever more extreme or different scenarios. That's an interesting facet of it. Because you've got to remember it is acting. So the things that you would see me doing in a scene are not the things that I do at home. You know, I'm now married. I'm five years into a relationship where I'm totally monogamous. Mm. That's the real me. So I was acting in those things. Looking back on my time, you know, I was never actually very comfortable in an open relationship, but I was doing it. I was going through those motions. There's a million reasons why, perhaps. But you're acting. It takes six hours, four to six hours to do a sex scene. Blimey. It's not 
as you see it in seven minutes. Did I'm, having that seven-figure salary, did that make a difference? Like having that in the bank and then making a hedonistic choice? I wouldn't have done it if I didn't have the money in the bank. You know, I wasn't doing it because I needed the money. I was doing it because I was a hedonist. It's like you said, what was it like living in Brazil, not having anything to do? Were you running out of ideas or did you want to do things? Um, I applied to American studios. I got hired by American studios. I didn't just do it as a fancy. Once I'd started, it's like everything I do in my life, I wanted to make a success of it. So American so, porn studios? I worked for the top studios. Um, I made 40 films. And, you know, I, I did it with a positive attitude. It was a great job. You know, it's a fun job. If you're not doing it as a living, if that's not what you're getting your bread and butter for, and you don't feel that you're forced into it, which people aren't, but another issue, it was fun. It was great. I don't regret a second of it. What about the people you met on set? Would you say that all of them, I mean, clearly not all of them were in the same stable financial position? No, but a lot of them made a good living from it. These were early days where, you know, nowadays I think a scene costs £200 for an actor. Whereas in those days, you were paid two or $3,000 for a day. It was a very different sort of market. The guys that I worked with were not desperate, and a lot of them did it for fun as well. There were lawyers, doctors, there was bankers. There were all sorts of people in that industry with fake names, so you don't know who they are, mm. but they have serious careers behind them. Did you do group scenes? Solo, duo, trio, more. You know, it, it, it totally depends. For those who don't know about gay adult world, um, you're either a top or a bottom or you're versatile. I was predominantly a top. So I was known as a gruff, rough daddy figure, a mm. bit of a bare, hairy guy that, with muscles. I was very muscled at the time. So in, in that sexual scenario then, did you have to be quite dominant. dominant? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it was interesting when you said that that was kind of acting. In real life, probably it's not as clear-cut as that, is it? But you, I presume you had to sort of bark instructions at people and play up to that fantasy role. Um... God. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but that was my role. I was playing yeah. a daddy, so you know it, it, it might maybe, be, as you say, barking orders, but not in that way. It's, it's it's an attitude. It's sort of you know that's the more masculine end of the spectrum. So I suppose what I'm getting at is, does that actually make you feel empowered, or were you doing that because physically that's your type? You tell me. No, physically that's my type. I'm, I, I am big, aren't I? And you know, I guess that's why I was cast in those roles. How did you come up with your own name? Do you know the weird thing is, I guess I'd fantasised about being in porn from quite a young age and I'd come up with various ridiculous names. In those days, in the 70s, 80s and 90s, porn stars did have ridiculous names. So I thought, you know, what's good? What, what, what fits my, my sort of um, stature? So I became Trojan. Um, and then there's a studio in America said, look, it'd be great if you had a second name. Most people have second names. You know, you can't be Lulu, can you, in porn? So you need a second name. And... Um, I became Trojan Rock. Trojan Rock? Mm hmm It's got a good ring to it. It's got a lovely ring to it. it, it I mean, and it does, I see, it immediately conjures up the, the daddy-dominant thing that you're saying, doesn't it, that kind of name? And Rock was from Rock Hudson. Right, okay, yeah. But, you know, most people in porn had a real laugh about creating their names. After I'd sort of been in the adult industry for a while, I realised that I could make a business out of that. So I set up my own studios. See, now, again, to me, and I'm sorry for being sort of 
pop psychologist here. It just seems that was your natural instinct. You couldn't stop yourself producing things. Again, I went back to producing. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, interesting enough, when I first got fired from my first job in PR on Tottenham Court Road, what I did was I went to the pub, had a few drinks, and the next day I set up my own agency. So it's in my blood. I don't know why it is, but I have to do it for myself. And so, okay, yeah. tell me how the company went. Well, the company's still going. Did you sell it? Uh, I'm in the midst of a deal. Wow, okay. Um, I haven't actually worked with the company for about four years. There's a great guy that runs it for me, and he's taking it over. And what, what kind of porn do they specialise in then? Gay. Yeah, yeah, sure, but <laughs> being specifically within that niche. Um, there's four studios. One is for um, Twinks. Mm-hmm. One is for... Twinks is young-looking men, right? Young-looking men. 1821. Bears, like me. How many films did you make for your own company before it became a bit odd that the producer was the star? Um, I made about four films of my own with my own company, and uh, it started to feel quite uncomfortable because the the line felt very blurred between was I being hired because I was good enough or mm. was I hiring because uh, I wanted to have sex with those people, mm. and that to me wasn't comfortable. So I, I came out of that. I mean, I made thirty six films for other companies. Presumably you built up a fan base over 40 films. I don't know, because it's, it's, it's nearly 12 years since I've done porn. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is strange is you do get recognised. You know, for all the TV shows I did, no one remember any of that. What they remember is the adult era. That chapter of my life is much more prevalent than anything I ever did, which, whether I won awards or did anything. You know, I'm not dismissing it. I understand it. And by the way, I did win the Lifetime Achievement Award in gay porn. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, but, you know, that's what I'm saying. You know, I like to do things fully and properly. <laughs> so when you say people recognise you, do you mean strangers in the street? Oh, I've been in Israel in a restaurant. Somebody's come up to me and said, I like your movies. Wow. While I've been in a business meeting. And are you flattered in that scenario? Because uh, what they're saying is actually, basically, I've beaten off to you. I mean, that's flattering I, in a way, right? Of course, yeah. I think it's, it's really nice. I've been in you know, airports and people have come up and said, hey, you're a Trojan. And that's okay. It surprises me nowadays if somebody does that. It's rarer and rarer. Do you own any of your own films on DVD? No. Have you ever watched them? Yes. Part of the reason I would have watched them is because whether you went to a German bar, French bar, Dutch bar, American bar, whatever, you would be in a gay bar and your image would come up. Oh, God. In the gay world, pornography is quite significant. Uh, it's part of the culture. I mean, I find it awkward if I'm oh, at an God. audio conference and someone <laughs> plays a clip of my podcast and I have to listen to it. I think, I think you sort of just roll with it. What do you think about how mainstream gay porn has become now in terms of it being an option? I mean, you know, when you were mentioning the terms earlier, twinks, and I said, oh, that's young men. I know that through looking at straight and bisexual porn sites because it's an option. It's there. It's part of the conversation in a way that it wasn't. You know, even five years ago, for the majority of you the could porn tell me that as population. a straight man, I probably can't tell you that as a gay man. Well, I can tell you there's a lot more of it around. Well, I have had friends, straight friends, who have said, "Oh my God, I saw a film with you in," and I said, "But you're straight," and they said, "Yeah, but it came up on my feed, or yeah. it came up on um, one of those tube sites." Is, is that a good thing? I mean, of course, the, of course, from your point of view, the idea that gay people can see gay porn is a good thing. Is it a good thing that it's become? Sort yeah, of everywhere. Why, why not? I mean, obviously, I'm not anti-porn. I, I think it's a very healthy thing. You know, I think it's it's one of those weird things where we could go into the politics of it, and you know, you wouldn't mix Bambi with um, uh, Chainsaw Massacre, would you? But that's what people do with the adult industry. They put everything from fisting through to scat and piercing, even romance, all lump it all together. It's not it's not put into separate genres like 
mainstream film. That's the big mistake. So you're not in Rio anymore? No. I came back to England. I had moved on from that relationship. And I decided that I needed to go back into the world of work. I didn't want to fester in the countryside or in London doing nothing. I needed to do something. And you now work back in... I work back in the world of media. Yeah, the media industry in Soho. Yeah. Uh, That must mean meeting a lot of the people who you thought you'd sort of said farewell to forever and you thought their opinion didn't matter if they saw you in porn online. How's that gone for you? I'm just pausing because um, I remember when I first ventured into the adult industry, the trade magazine, they printed a whole story about me going into porn, which at the time I felt sort of like, oh, really? Was that necessary? And I thought that the reaction would have been quite negative, but I've never heard a bad word said about me. Um, I still have the same circle of friends I've always had. The work people around me who have known me have never brought it up as a negative. For me, it isn't a negative, and I guess they know that, and no one's ever said to me, that was terrible. They've always said, well, well, good for you. Do you worry people gossip about it? Well, I know people gossip about it. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. <laughs> um, so I heard on the grapevine, I just heard, oh, we, we would, I was talking about career changes in life. And someone said, oh, well, there's this TV executive. He had loads of money. There was no reason for him to do it. But he gave it all in and became a porn star. And now he's back again. Yeah. And the implication was kind of like, as if nothing happened. You know, as if that should be a completely separate part of his life. But what's interesting to hear from you is that it is a separate part of your life, but it's part of the narrative of your life. It's not something you're embarrassed about. No, it's a chapter that I did. You know, um, I will never be embarrassed about those sort of... I, I don't think there's anything in my life that I feel totally embarrassed about. Um, life is too short. I've always lived with the feeling that, you know, you do things, you make a decision, it's a choice. You live by your choice. There's nothing... There's no boundaries in that way. You know, we, we live different chapters. You know, I'm looking forward to my next chapter. What do I do after I leave this group of companies? Where will I be? I'm not somebody who's going to just go and lie on a beach again. I've done that, been there, didn't work for me. That's the dream that uh, didn't work for me, being a beach bum. Well, there's a danger, isn't there, that people listening to this might think, well, hold on, he he had everything that I'm working towards. Mm. He built up his company, he sold his company. He then pursued something completely hedonistic, Mm -hmm. and now he stopped doing that as well. That, you know, the pursuit of happiness here doesn't, it doesn't feel like it always comes from following your dreams. Or maybe it doesn't. Are you happy now? Um, I don't ever wake up and think, oh, shit, I've got to face crap today. I wake up and I go, oh, I'm going to work. Great. I'm going to see loads of good people. Yeah, it gets a bit stressful, but I buzz off that. Um, I have a fantastic husband. I'm enjoying my life. And what generally do you make of the, the porn industry as it is now? Uh, I think it's in a pretty sad state. As it was, it was safe. People were paid a decent amount of money for their time and their efforts. And now, because people just constantly steal it, they download it for free. Uh, The studios are decreasing in size. They're not able to look after their actors. Actors aren't paid anywhere near as much as they used to be. I come from a media industry, and as you know, I like to create businesses, and that's what makes me buzz. It makes me actually cringe when I know what people are stealing. People think it's okay because it's adult to download for free. It's not. You can go to Sainsbury's and steal a Mars bar. Why do you feel it's okay to watch porn for free? It's theft. 
Is it partly because, you know, still, although the conversation's more open these days than it used to be, it's still something that, generally speaking, generally men, generally by themselves, get up to generally in secret. And so it's almost like it hasn't happened. You know, you open the incognito tab, you have a wank, and then you forget that you've done it. It's not the same as going to buy a DVD or going to the cinema. You can forget that that happened. Well, I guess that's just me. You know, I think it's a generational thing. Most people nowadays are just so used to that, being okay to do it that way. No, I think it's got two things. One is that it's you can talk about it. It's more uh, accessible. It's not so shocking because everyone is watching it. I mean, do you know anyone who doesn't watch porn, honestly? Well, if they told me they didn't, I'd question if they were being honest. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, it just as me from a businessman's perspective, I'm not happy with the way it's gone, and I don't think it's really good for the industry. You know, the studios have shrunk. The studio I used to own, or the one I'm selling now, used to have 27 people in Wardour Street working there night and day. Now it's down to four people in Brixton in a small studio. But I suppose also there's the element of the obvious way to monetize it these days, rather than buying 50 or 60 quid DVDs from shops in Soho is to make a £5 contribution through a website. And the problem is maybe people don't trust that either. They think, who am I giving my money to? I don't think that many people actually do pay. With my studios, we're quite lucky people still pay memberships. But that's quite rare. Most people will go to the free tube sites. You can get absolutely everything. You go to any tube site, you will see my studio stuff on those tube sites. And I don't have a leg to stand on legally to get them taken down. Do you really not? Why not? Because they're often offshore. They're not uh, with the same jurisdictions. And actually, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens this year when the government try to put on age restrictions in the UK, because that will just kill the UK studios. But every other studio around the world will still be able to stream directly through your internet to you without having that age verification. Do you think there's a way to do what Netflix did, though? Do you think there is, you know, if enough of the big players got together and made the point that these sites are located offshore and said, here you are, £5 a month, and you can stream all the porn you want from all these different studios. Do you think that might be a way to Well, that's what used to happen. I mean, before Netflix, don't forget, porn has always led the the way in technology. And so we actually owned streaming sites like Netflix way back in the time. But then the government stopped those being used in the UK, so they went to American companies or anywhere else, and they're still doing those. I mean, there's Mailflex, for example. It's not going to change, sadly. Gavin Hay. If you've got a story you'd like to share on the next podcast, please be in touch via the feedback form at modernman.co.uk. Alex Fox is up next after this. Let's get ready, ready, let's get ready, ready, let's get ready to fumble. It's Alex Fox with the Foxhole. How are you? Hello, Ollie. I'm spectacular, thank you. Lovely to see you. Uh, What has been going on in the world of Fox? Well, excitingly, I have been published in my first hardback book. Ooh. And I have an early release copy here. It's not out until the 1st of March next year. It doesn't have um, your name on the spine. It says Stylist. It's uh, been published in association with Stylist magazine. It's actually really difficult for me to promote because the title is so immodest. Yes. But it's called Life Lessons from Remarkable Women. And you're one of the remarkable women. Allegedly. Well it's done. not something I'd claim of myself. Who else? Who are the more famous people on the spine? Bob Brown. Ma- many, many. Nico f- Alley. N- Nicola Adams. 
when Tanya when Gold? it says Bobby Brown, it's Bobby Brown, the, the make- lady, the makeup yeah, the, lady. the cosmetics lady, not Bobby Brown, not the Whitney rapping Whit- man. No, exactly. Yeah. Go on. What if, what's your bit about? Well, my chapter is called Six Things I've Learned About Love, but I thought I would just open my pages at random, so to speak, yes, uh, and give you a little titillating taster if you fancy. Okay, so one of the things you've learned about love, but you have to get the book to give the other five. Yes, that's right. right. Well, okay. this won't be a lesson. This is just an opening paragraph. It was as though he'd been concocted in a laboratory, specially grown in a petri dish to to cater to my predilections. Tall as Rapunzel's tower, with entertaining stories longer than her hair, a knack for unearthing quirky knickknacks. Didn't know you'd write about me in the book, Alex. (laughs) I'm flattered. A knack for unearthing quirky knickknacks in second-hand shops, which he'd send me along with first-rate letters. Passionate and compassionate, laid-back yet lively, lovely. And to find out who it was about, you have yeah, to, buy the to book. find out who it was about <laughs> and where it went wrong, diddly wrong, wrong, you'll did have it? to buy the book. Yeah, yeah. In in a word, where did it go wrong? Because it sounded so promising. Reality. <laughs> She's normally such a glass half full person. Uh, okay. Yeah, but what is the glass half full of, Ollie? Well, it depends whether you bought it from mycondom.com, who have sponsored this week's Foxhole as ever. Remind us of their excellent service. Well, one thing they're selling at the moment is EXS Christmas condoms for the grand sum of 32p each. And these come in round foils with a print of two little snowmen on the front. So oh. perfect as the festive season approaches. That is rather nice. Well, one thing that you could might want to do with them is make a bit of a saucy advent calendar by buying 25 envelopes and putting a different condom or sachet of lube in each one of them. Yes, now you mentioned this last year, but I seem to remember you mentioned it at a time where it was too late for people to put this into practice. I think this may have been in our January episode, but now's the time. Yeah, you could also put in, if you buy a cheap uh, erotica book of short stories or print some off the internet that you like, Mm. you could put a page of an erotic story in each envelope and then get your partner to open it and gradually tell the tale day by day. Nice. I would on some days, though, still just put some dairy milk in. Yeah, why not? And the question this week comes from someone who's chosen to be called C.M., and they come. say... Can we rec- call them come? You, um, what's come. the question about? Just quickly scanning. Yes, you can call them come. Uh, recently, I came across... Oh, dear. Uh, recently, I came across the website Chack Rubs, which sells dildos and eggs made from, quote, 100% natural crystals. I also remember a slight controversy over the jade eggs peddled by Gwyneth Paltrow's Goop website. All the pseudoscientific hoo-ha and new-age crystal healing bullcrap aside... The main concern was the porosity of the natural material, which could harbour bacteria and cause health problems. So, Alex, can you address those concerns and provide safe materials appropriate for intimate applications? That's very well written, but you're going to have to uh, interpret that for me. Yeah, some of it might need translation. Let's talk about chakrubs. Have you heard about these? I haven't. They are crystal dildos, as Cum says, and they're named after chakras, the supposed energy points in the body. Now, it is correct that giving yourself sexual pleasure can bring healing benefits in terms of uh, reduction of stress and elevation of endorphins and a general sense of well-being. And if, I guess there's no harm if you find that touching yourself with an object that's particularly beautiful, because the chakrubs do look Mm. really gorgeous, they're very pretty, Mm. if that brings a sense of kind of indulgence and reverence and helps you create your own masturbation ritual, if you will, or, or helps sex feel like a more special thing for you, then I can see how that might enhance your life. But all this pseudoscientific hoo-ha about people's hoo-has 
is it angers me so much not least because we've only just started to take female sexuality seriously stuff like this is really really unhelpful but, and yes but the question is basically you know is it dangerous to put it in your vanity potentially why Crystals like jade, for example, are porous. That means that they can, as uh, Cum has stated, potentially harbour bacteria, uh, which can cause things like bacterial vaginosis or even toxic shock syndrome. Now, that risk can be reduced if you disinfect your, your dildo thoroughly. The issue with shack rubs is that rather than talking about how to keep them clean uh, or doing things like covering them in a condom, which doesn't really suit this kind of mung bean sackcloth wearing philosophy uh, they talk about doing things like sleeping with them in order for them to become one with your soul and even leaving them on the windowsill to charge up in the moonlight if I left out my dildo on the windowsill, not only would I give my neighbours a huge... Well, I was about to say give my neighbours a huge shock. Let's face it, Ollie, at this point, my neighbours would not be shocked at all, but they would still be able to see all my dildos, and they might go mouldy there, you know. Mm. It would your be your a windowsill use- is not a very hygienic place in a lot of houses. It would be a useful anchor for Google Street View, though. What's no. this reference to jade eggs? Oh. What was that? Because, no. believe it or not, most things on Goop pass me by. Uh, jade eggs, also known as yoni eggs, which also come made of other materials, other crystals or, or, or uh, other substances entirely, are egg-shaped weights that a woman inserts into her vaginal passage and then cl- clenches her uh, pelvic floor muscles in order to keep them in place. There are certainly benefits to doing pelvic floor exercises. If you strengthen those muscles, it can help deal with things like uh, incontinence and also heighten the strength of a woman's orgasm and potentially make orgasm more likely. However, there are a number of issues with jade eggs, one of them being this porosity factor again, the fact that they can harbour bacteria, the other being that some of these things are actually quite heavy and certain websites endorse wearing them for a long, long time Uh, and even walking around in them. Now, there's not a lot of scientific research that has gone into what happens when a woman clenches her muscles for that long, but those muscles are not designed to be clenched and held for hours. Uh, And I've also discovered uh, an unfortunate phenomenon. Have you heard of vaginal kung fu, Ollie? What do you think? (laughs) Well, this is a practice that's advocated by a woman called Kim Anami. And I'm just going to show you this picture of Kim here. If you could describe what she's doing for our listeners. Um, I don't know what that is. Is it a ball of... It it's looks an like apple. she's got. Oh, okay. It's an <laughs> apple on a string tied to a jade egg, which Kim has inserted in her I vagina. See. She also ties avocados to it sometimes. So it's weight and training stones. for your vagina. It's extreme weight training for your vagina. The problem is, if it goes wrong and the egg falls out it looks like you've laid an egg and even greater the problem than accidentally looking like you're laying a very very free range egg in the middle of morrison's or wherever you've chosen to go perambulating with your jade bits up your nether regions is that the vaginal muscles are not designed to lift weights you it's perfectly fine to do normal 
pelvic floor exercises without needing to incorporate extra weight. In certain circumstances, GPs and specialists might advocate using, uh, you can get these very very lightly weighted cones that are inserted uh, into the vaginal passage, but that's very, very different than dangling a rock or a granny smith or your granny out of your vagina. The other problem I have with this is that it's hard enough to get people in the habit of doing pelvic floor exercises as it is. Uh, Okay, so what are some alternatives then if you do want to um, experiment in this kind of area? Well, I figure that the people who are interested in stuff like jade eggs and shack rubs want something that looks stunning and Mm. feels luxurious Mm. and is made of a material that they consider natural. Mm. Uh, And I should reiterate here that natural doesn't necessarily mean good or safe. Um, Shack rubs talk about how crystals come from the soil. You know what else comes from the soil? actual soil <laughs> and shit shit from bulls asses bullshit but there are also there are lots of natural materials on the market which are perhaps more worthy of exploration and i recently went to a ceramic dildo decoration class run by a fantastic artist called Adele Bridges. And I've actually brought my pottery dildo, my handmade pottery dildo with me to show you. Because if you're looking for something beautiful to put up your cootiful, then you can't get much better than that. Has it been anywhere? No, it hasn't been anywhere. It's just been fired in a kiln. I've yet to put it in my own personal fire pit. What happens is that you go to Adele's uh, workshop, which Mm. is in East London. Oh, I thought you were going to say Santa Park. <laughs> she will give you a plain hollow ceramic dildo which she's made out of special porcelain which she fires for a, a, a longer time than normal to make it ultra durable uh, she then teaches you how to apply bespoke and some of them are vintage these uh, porcelain transfers to decorate it any way you want she glazes it and polishes it so it's completely smooth and body safe and then because it's actually hollow and it comes with a cork in the end, you can fill it with cold or hot water to change mm. up the temperature. It's beautiful, it's made of a natural material, so it's eco-friendly as well and you're supporting a, a small business. This is a much better choice. And to clean it, all you need is hot soapy water. Uh, and if I were you, I would change the cork at the bottom uh, <laughs> a few times just so that doesn't harbour bacteria if it gets anywhere near your gungy bits. There we go. Excellent advice, as ever. And if people... Um, manage to hook up with a partner uh, uh-huh. they might want to head over to mycondom.com to get themselves some protection yes and if they potter on over to that site and use our code foxhole they can get 15% off and with that we've very nearly reached the end of another modern man but there is just time to anoint a new ambassador it is Nathan from Cornwall who is probably listening right now as he does every weekend as he drives to see his wife Eleanor at her parents house where she's living at the moment Uh, she says Nathan's been asking me for ages if he can give you some beer money so I've put in for a round of beers instead I haven't told him about this because I want to see the look on his face when he comes home to me having been mentioned on his favourite show yes Uh, Nathan isn't that nice of your wife I am delighted to make you ambassador for Cornwall congratulations our theme is by Django Django they have a new album Marble Skies out now and this is our record of the week it's by South London youngsters Dead Pretties the track is called Confidence and it's out now on Nice Swan Records I've been Ollie Mann the producer Matt Hill and we'll see you next Tuesday 
try all these disgusting tea i'm not going to tell you what's in it just try it It, it's the color of rust and food poisoning try it it smells like something vegetable based yeah Uh, it's all right isn't it it tastes like cheap copper soup (laughs) it's it it's insipid vegetable broth it tastes like what somebody in dire circumstances in medieval times might drink in winter (laughs) Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.